wonderful. And so, um, just so, so thankful. Well, hey, we are in a three-part series. And uh, we're in the second part of that three-part series. This morning, if you were here, you heard us talk about an incredibly true disciple. Uh, her name was Mary, and she gave some incredible, an incredible piece of counsel and advice. And he, she said to the servants, said to us servants, she says this, whatever he tells you to do, okay, you don't sound convinced. I thought you guys were the double dippers. I thought you, this is the Pentecostal group, amen? <laughs> you guys are like, no, actually we're tired. All right, listen. Whatever he tells you to do, okay, now the question is, do we? (laughs) Good answer. This is going to be a great interaction, right? So we're in our second part, and we're leading to the place where we actually want to follow the command of Jesus Christ, the commission that he gave all believers to make disciples. You see, each one of us should have somebody under us that we are raising up in the Lord. Every single one of us in here. We are charged to make disciples. But in order for us to make disciples, we must be a disciple ourselves. That's with the assumption that we need change. That's with the assumption that we need to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about. Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we are thankful for your word because it is by your word that we have life. In fact, it's by your word that we know how to live for you're the way, the truth, and the life. And so I pray that tonight your word would speak to our hearts and change us. In your name we pray, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You've heard me say I have nine kids. I have loved watching them grow. I've loved watching them through their seasons. I especially loved it when they were no longer toddlers. I have really enjoyed them coming out of the teenage years, and I'm finally in the place where I have grandkids that are paying my debt, and I get to watch my children tortured by their children, and I sit there and I watch in this new season of life, and it brings me so much joy, I can't even begin to tell you. But the truth of the matter is, life is defined by change. Life is defined by change. In fact, it really is the essence of our own faith. You see, Christianity as well is defined by change. You don't need to turn there. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And there are three cities, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, that Jesus is going to rebuke. It's Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he rebukes them because they refused to change. With all of the things that Jesus did in these cities, he says, with all of the mighty works that I've done, even Sodom would have changed if I did these things in in the city of Sodom. But you chose not to repent. You chose not to go another way. You chose not to change. And he rebukes them and he says, woe. Think of the United States of America. Think of all that Jesus has done for us. Just think of our freedom that we get to sit in church this Monday, this past Monday. Fox News reported that a seven-year-old was playing in Syria and he made fun of ISIS, the caliphate. His friends went home after playing the game, told his parents, his parents told the ISIS leaders he was tried and executed that day on Monday as a seven-year-old by ISIS. Jesus has done incredible work for us in this country. We live in freedom. We can communicate the gospel. We're not threatened as if someone's going to kill us. Listen, we may lose our job. 
But the truth of the matter is we have been given so many incredible gifts. I wonder if the same rebuke would come to you. Woe to you, Church of the United States of America, because you refuse to change. You refuse to change. You see, it's our job. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we've been predestined, we've been foreordained to become, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul, when he was writing the church of 1 Corinthians, you stay in 1 John. I want to read this for you. Listen to what he says to the church in 1 Corinthians. You can write it down. It's chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. I'll read it for you. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of, kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now, if I read that list and that was one of you, go ahead and raise your hand. No, go ahead, raise your hand. Someone up front, like, yep, I was all of them. <laughs> you know, listen. No, seriously, if I read this list and that was you, I want you to raise your hand high. I want you to raise your hand high. Okay, listen now. Keep your hand high. Keep your hand high. Listen. He says this in verse 11, and such were some of you. Now, if you're not that anymore, go ahead and put your hand down. Now, here's the question Are you still that? Paul makes it very clear a change has to happen. He says, and such were some of you. You see, the Bible, it's a big word. It calls this kind of change, it calls this kind of change transformation. In fact, it's a direction from Scripture. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind? Oh, there's a great example found in John chapter 1. His name is John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, he goes off into the wilderness and he joins this community called the Essenes. Now the Essenes, they believed, as they went off into the wilderness, they believed that they could change Israel by the word of God. There was, a well, another group, and these group, well, they were just a little bit different than the Essenes. They were the Zealots, Simon the Zealot. You remember, he was one of the disciples. Now, the zealots, they believed that you could change Israel by force. That's what they believed. John the Baptist, he wasn't a zealot. He didn't walk around and stab Roman soldiers. No, that wasn't John the Baptist. He went off and he studied the word of God. This guy was a radical guy. Imagine, you go down, to the, uh, uh, down into the Judean wilderness and you see him baptizing. You couldn't miss him. Big old beard, locust hanging all over the place with honey dripping in a little loincloth. He looked like Elijah the prophet. And I wonder if some of us, if I had to come into your workplace, would I be able to go, up? Oh, there's the Christian. Do you look so radically different? Are you so radically changed as such were some of you? Or are you still the person that you were before Christ? Oh, not John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist in John chapter 1, something happened to him after he spent time in the Word of God. Take a look. It's John chapter 1 verse 7. This man, speaking of John the Baptist, John chapter 1 verse 7, he came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. You see, John the Baptist had a goal. And the goal that he had was that everyone through his life would believe on the name of Jesus Christ. He had a goal. He came for a witness. The word of God had changed him from being about himself to being about Jesus. But not only that, go with me if you would to verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. Now, I want you to stop for a minute. I'm going to reread this, okay? Imagine if I get up here and I do this. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. You see, John was a very great guy. And he was so good that he really wanted to change people for Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, I would start sounding like this to you. Wah, 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 wah. And some of you would be like this. I call it the place that the Christian can get drunk, right here. 
It's like that little high that we get in between sleep and in between awake. It's like, uh, and we just like, we just kind of, in church, we just, I don't know, what about church? I was teaching this morning and I saw about 10 of you like this. And your face is smiling. I don't know what you're thinking about. That would be crazy if I read it like that, wouldn't it? You see, John had a character. He cried out with passion. He cried out with passion. The Word of God had made him passionate. In fact, most of the world changers have been Christians because they're passionate about the things of God. John, oh, the Word changed him into a passionate person. Not only that, would you take a look at verse 20? So they come to him and they ask him, Who are you? What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then he said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who've sent us? So the Pharisees come on the scene and they want to ask a question. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, he answers. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. You see, John, he had spent time in the Word of God, and now he defines his being through the Word. One day, he's off in the wilderness. He's reading Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And when he reads it, and he goes, the one crying out in the wilderness, God speaks to his heart, and he goes, that's me. I'm that person. And the Word of God changed him and defined him and explained who he was. And so when Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world, does that define us? When he says you are salt, do you season? You see, does the word of God define us like it defined John the Baptist? Take a look, if you would, at me, verse 33. John goes on and he's speaking after bearing witness. He says in verse 33, I didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John had direction from the Word. He was intimate with the Word, so much so that the Word of God was speaking to him. And how does the Word of God speak to us except by the Holy Spirit of God? John was directed by the Word through the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit said, this is the one. And John listened. Man, I love this guy. I want to be as passionate as him. I want to be defined by the Word. I want to be changed by the Word so much that people will say, when they look at me, there's the Christian, there's the salt, there's the light. Man, I want to be like John. How can I be like him? I want to be changed. I think the Word of God gives us four ways that we can be changed. You see, if our goal is to be to make disciples, we cannot make them unless we're one ourselves. And I want to define what Jesus and how Jesus makes disciples out of us. If you're taking note, look with me at John chapter 1, verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples, underline this, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? If you're taking note, I want you to write down, it's number one, choose to listen. Choose to listen. You see, as a parent, my children listening to me is very important. In fact, uh, we lived in the Bahamas for a time, and I'm a Bahamian, and we went back home, and we lived there for about four years. And um, I remember when we first moved there, my son was acting up. He wasn't listening to me in the food store. And I said to him, son, you need to listen to me. And he said to me, being who he was, dad, if you spank me, I'm going to run to a camera and cry for help. I said, really? Literally, 
We go from aisle nine to aisle 10. Now remember, we're in the Bahamas. We go from aisle nine to aisle 10. When we go into aisle 10 and I'm speaking to my child, you need to listen to me. As we go into aisle 10, there is a very large Bahamian woman. She has taken her child out of the trolley. She has taken her shoe off and she is mercilessly beating her child in aisle 10. And I looked at my son and I said this, we are not in the United States of America, child. You need to listen. I'm sorry, dad. I said, if you don't listen, I'm going to give you to her. As I walk by with my trolley, she's still beating her child. I go, thank you. Why don't we listen? Because sometimes we don't like to hear what God has to say. Because he usually says, change. Change. And none of us like change. None of us. In fact, on Sunday mornings, I guarantee you always sit there. You don't tell your feet to go there. They just go there. And if someone's in your seat, you think to yourself, what are you doing? That's my place. That's my seat. That's where I'm. We don't like change. And we don't like for people to tell us to change. But I want you to see something here. I ask you to underline it. It's found in verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak. You see, listening was a big deal to Jesus. He oftentimes said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We've got to tune our ears into spiritual ears so that we can hear the things of the Spirit. Now, how do we listen is very important. You see, if we're going to hear spiritual things, we've got to become spiritual people. We've got to put spiritual things into practice in our life. And let me explain what it's like. It's understanding that when I learn something spiritual, I put that spiritual practice into place. Jesus, he would explain the parables to the disciples because they were seeking spiritual things. But he wouldn't explain it to the Pharisees because they wouldn't understand because they were not putting spiritual things into practice. And if we want to have spiritual ears to hear, listen, then we need to put spiritual things into practice as what we learn we actually put into place. Keep your finger here in John 1. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, once again, keep your finger in John chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Pastors, we love to hear those pages turning. That's okay if you went to Genesis. You'll find it. I'll give you a hint. It's more towards the other way. And if you're lost, just look for someone who's next to you that doesn't look like they're lost. If someone's still turning pages, turn to the other side. Maybe that person can help. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. It's useful for doctrine. Okay? It's useful, this word teaching. It's useful to give us truth. Second word he says is this. It's useful for reproof. Once I know the truth, this word is a legal term. It's the word convicted. It's the idea that a lawyer goes in front of a judge and he tries to prove the person guilty. That's what the Spirit does. Once we learn the truth, we can be convicted of it if we're not following it. That's the Scripture. It speaks to us. It tells us when we're not going the right direction. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for conviction. But take a look what else it says. The Bible is useful. The Word of God is useful for correction. Now, let me give you an illustration, if I could. I wish my uh, assistant, Zach, was here, and I'd kind of explain something through a visual. But if you could, for just a moment, imagine that someone is standing in front of me right here. And I ask them just to fall back. And then I catch them. I don't allow that person to fall. And then what I do is I correct 
their position. That's what the visual of that word. You see, the word of God doesn't allow us to just fall on our face and and step on us. No, the word of God catches us and then lifts us up and corrects us into the right position. That's what the word of God does for us. And then finally, look what the word does. It's useful for instruction or training in righteousness. Now, in order, listen, I was a swimmer. I swam through high school, and it paid my way through college. Now, let me explain something. I couldn't show up at a national event and never had practice all year long. You see, if I showed up at the national event and I expected to win, I wouldn't win because I hadn't practiced. And so many Christians, this is what we do. We want God to speak to us, but we don't want to put any spiritual practices into our life, like praying and fasting and devotions and reading the Word. We just want God to do it for us. We want him to show up and speak to us. No, he's saying, look, you want to have and hear from God? You need to put spiritual practices into place so that you can hear. Now, I want you to go back with me to John chapter 1. Listen to what they heard. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, maybe that's not a big deal for you. Behold the Lamb of God? You see, for... About 2,000 years since the very first Passover, the children of Israel have been sacrificing the Lamb of God on the festival of Passover for many, many, many years. It was a lamb, and the lamb would be slaughtered, and that was the indication that God would pass over the children of Israel if they were to just take the blood and put it over the doorpost. The angel of death would go by, and for a thousand years, listen, they celebrated this festival, and now John is saying, behold the lamb of God? Well, Andrew and John, these two disciples... They've gone off to the wilderness to seek the word. And diligently, having left their home about 50 miles away, to go and retreat in the Judean wilderness in order to see John the Baptist and learn the word of God, here they are in this intense retreat, alone with God, learning from John the Baptist, and God gives them a special revelation because they had tuned in their spiritual ears. See, I think sometimes... Being a disciple in our world, there's too much noise. Our radio is always on. People are always speaking. We're always engaged with something. We're so busy, we have no time to have time with God. Sometimes I feel like God is up in heaven going... God wants to speak to you. And that's why he says, be still and know, come to understanding. Get some spiritual ears. Be still and know that I'm God. Are we taking the time to actually be the disciple that we want to be by being with God? We've got to choose to listen. Let's go on in Scripture, if you would. It's John chapter 1. Would you take a look at verse 37? The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following him, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi. Which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. If you're taking note, it's point number two, not simply choose to listen. If you want to become this kind of disciple, you need to choose to follow. Choose to follow. Let me explain. Faith is not simply hearing Faith is doing. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, look, if you want to be a wise person, I want to help you understand something. It is that you hear and you do the word of God so that when the rains come and the storm comes, listen, you will be able to stand because you've heard and you've done. But an unwise servant, let me explain, an unwise person, a foolish person, all he does is hear the word of God and he does nothing with it. So when your event comes, when your trial comes upon you, you've not practiced your faith, so you're not able to stand. So what is he asking us to do? 
Well, the very first thing, look what he asked them. What do you seek? Seeking. Seeking. You see, if we're going to follow after Jesus, we've got to be seeking Him. We've got to hunger and thirst for Him. He has got to be our all in all. Look what they say. They refer to Him as rabbi. They refer to Him as a teacher because they're saying to Him, we don't know, but we think that you know. My children, anytime I go to help them with something when they were younger, I got it. Dad, I know. Dad, I got it. I know. Well, son, here's how you shoot the basket. No, I got it. I know exactly what to do. I, I, I can do it. Let me just show you how to throw the football. Dad, I got it. I, I got it. I don't need any help. I know exactly how to throw the football. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <clears throat> no, that's not how you throw a football, okay? Well, let me show you. Let me explain to you how you surf, okay? What you do is you paddle. Dad, I got it. I got it. You have your kids ever do that to you? They don't want to, you to teach them anything. We grow with that. And we actually begin to think we know everything. Think about your marital arguments. You walk into it, I am right. You are wrong. And we will prove it. <laughs> think of you're laughing because it's true. <laughs> Seeking him means recognizing I don't know, but you do. I need help. And you're the helper. Listen to what Jesus said. Seek and you shall find. He said those who hunger and thirst, they shall be filled. You see, the doing that we need to be doing is seeking after God. If we want to become the disciple that he's calling us to be, listen to what Jesus said. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now that weird some of us out. Is Jesus talking about cannibalism? No, in John chapter 6, he goes, these words that I speak to you, they are, they are, they're spiritual words. They're spirit and they're life. Jesus is not saying eat my flesh like physically. No, it's a spiritual term. He says, I want you to hunger for me the way you hunger for bread because I am the bread of life. And I want you to thirst for me like you thirst for water because I'm the only thing that fills. See our faith? The doing, we need to be seeking. But not only seeking, look what else he says. If you could, for just a moment, take a look at verse 39. He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying. And they remained there. You see, the doing of our faith is not just a seeking. The doing of our faith is a staying. This word means, where do you abide? Now, let me define this word for you if I could. This is a sojourn with someone on an adventure. It's like a pilgrimage to a destination. And that's exactly what transformation is. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, we're on a journey with God from glory to glory, step by step. God is on a journey with us. The problem is we all like to lose weight in two days. Isn't it great? The little pills we can take? Everybody wants a super pill. Everybody wants to be 50 pounds less tomorrow. And so what do we do? Dexatrim. What do we do? Super shakes. We try to find the latest thing that's out there so that we can quickly lose the weight. Let me tell you something. James made it very clear. The quickest way to change is patience. That's what James says. He says, let patience have its perfect work so that you will be perfect and complete. It takes time to change. The quickest way to change is through patience. Now, here's the problem with time. When we don't see ourselves changing and changing and changing immediately, immediately, and all of a sudden we mess up again, we want to quit. We want to give up. It's like our diet. We go on it for two days. And then we have like a piece of bread or someone gives us trace leche or, you know, I don't know what it is when I go on a diet. Someone always makes chocolate chip cookies for me. No one ever makes chocolate chip cookies until I tell myself I will not cheat. And then they come in. 
And I'm telling you, it, 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 it's like a sin offering or something. And they go, oh, I just made, God put this on. God did not put this on your heart. I'm telling you, sister. We can't quit. You see, that we need staying power. That's our faith. It, it described like this. Jesus said, if you want to put your hand to the plow, don't turn back. Otherwise, you're not fit for the kingdom. He's not saying you'll lose your salvation. What he's saying is you need to exercise more. You can't turn around and plow like this. You're going to end up all over the place. No, you've got to put your eyes on the course. Set your face like a flint. I am choosing to change no matter what it costs me. Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. The writer of Hebrews, he says, we are not those who draw back under position. Uh, under, uh, 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 he says, we are not those who draw back under perdition. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Christians don't quit. Didn't Jesus say in Luke chapter 18, I don't want you to lose heart. And that's why I want you to pray. Who will I find faithful? And he gave the illustration of the widow who kept going to the judge and she just didn't give up. She just didn't give up. She just didn't give up because Jesus is saying, I want you to continue in prayer because it's going to be hard. Listen to what he says. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do we really believe that? That will give us staying power to change. You see, Choosing to follow him is a recognition. Listen, John chapter 14, verse 6. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The way? He's the way? Now, let me explain what this way means. That means we learn his way and we practice it. Let me give you an easy one. Mark chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. Listen, let me give you a way of Jesus. He woke up long before the sun rose and prayed. How many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you got up at 3.30 this morning and started your prayer life? Well, if Jesus is the way and he woke up long before the sun rose, why don't we follow his way? Well, that was Jesus. No, he says, I am the way. I'm going to live a life to show you the way. And then he says, listen, I am the truth. In other words, I'm going to learn his truth and I'm going to choose to do it. That's what it means to follow you. And you are the life. I'm going to learn your life and I'm going to choose to follow it. So when you say love your enemy, I'm going to do it despite what it costs me. When you say go the second mile, I'm going to do it despite what it costs me. I know of a woman. She was in her village. Rebels came in and killed everyone in her village except for her. The rebel leaders then looked at her and said, put everything you own inside of a bed sheet. Pots and pans and clothes and shoes. So she did. She's looking at her dead family. She picked up the bed sheets, a huge bundle. She puts it on her head and he says, now follow me. She is following him through the jungle to their headquarters. About an hour into the journey, Buckling under the load, she falls and everything goes everywhere. Terrified, she begins to put everything inside the bed. She, she ties it again. She begins to put it back. And with some act of mercy, this rebel child soldier looks at her and says this. Just go away. I'll carry the load. The woman put the bundle on her head, looked at the child soldier and said, my Jesus has asked me when someone forces me to go one mile, I go two. I will carry this load. I've never met that woman. I met the rebel boy who got saved because she chose to be changed. Choose to follow. You really want to be a disciple. You have to choose to follow. Thirdly, if you're taking note, let's go on. It's John chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two heard John speak and followed him. His name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, 
and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. If you're taking note, it's number three. You want to be a disciple. Choose to witness. Choose to witness. Andrew spent one night with the word of God and his life was eternally changed. One night with the word of God. And he decided, I am going to be a witness. Your time in the word will change you. Paul, when he wrote Timothy, he said this, let your progress be evident to everybody. Timothy, if you're a man of the word, people are going to be seeing the change that is in you. Now remember what Andrew did. He heard Jesus He heard John say, behold, the Lamb of God. He followed Jesus, and when he was with the Word of God, his life began to change. All he needed was the Word. He didn't need a sign. He didn't need to be in school. Lord, if you just help me pass this test, I promise I will go to church for the rest of my life. God, if you just give me that woman as my wife, I promise to love her like Christ loved the church. Give her to me, me. I want her. You ever prayed those kind of prayers? You ever prayed the kind of prayer like, Lord, I'm going to put a cloth out on the grass. If the cloth is wet, but the grass is dry, I'll know it's you. (laughs) So many times I hear people come to me, well, I'll put out a fleece like Gideon did and see if God will answer. Can I tell you that Gideon's act was faithless? Jesus said, oh, wicked and perverse generation, you're always seeking a sign. And the evidence of that faithless act, Gideon turns from God later in his life. You see, fleeces and signs, no, the word of God and time with the word. I don't understand why people look at the word and go, well, it's like, I don't know. It's like we go to the word, right, in the morning, and all of a sudden we're reading. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the, Thank you, God. I've had a great time with you. Amen. <laughs> but you guys can go to the movie. And the new Captain America comes out. <laughs> For two and a half hours. But as soon as we get into the Word, in the beginning was the Word. It's the devil. He puts a spirit of sleepy on you. It's like all of a sudden you become one of the seven dwarfs. Because he knows when we spend time with the Word, we will change. You see, God made a very important declaration. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, like Andrew, he says, you shall be my witness. Now, this word witness, it's the word martyr. You know this. In other words, it's going to cost our very lives. Cost our lives. I don't know if you read this in John chapter 1 with me. Andrew went to Simon, his brother, and he said, we found him. We found the Messiah. I'm telling you, Simon, you got to come see him. Now, Andrew, he's known as the great evangelist because he brought everyone to Jesus. And he runs to his brother and he says, you got to come with me. you got to go see. Now, let me tell you what Andrew's doing. If he's wrong, it's called blasphemy. And according to the law, by telling his brother that he found the Christ, he should be stoned. Choose to witness Paul said it best. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Like, surprise, surprise, I'm still living. In other words, I'm dead, but surprise, I'm still alive. Well, how am I alive? By the grace of God, Jesus Christ in me. Now he says in Romans chapter 6, I walk in the newness of life. Old things have passed away, he says in 2 Corinthians. Behold, like surprise, all things are new. 
You see, when we spend time in the Word of God, we are going to recognize that we're supposed to be dead and Christ is supposed to live in us. And no matter what it costs us, we are willing to be a witness. We choose to lay our life down. So we're going this way and we're reading our devotions. And we're going this way and then we read our devotions. You shouldn't be going that way. We lay our life down and we say, you know what? I'm going to go this way now. Let me give you one. Forgive as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Who you mad at? You don't know what she did to me. That little wretch. She's evil. She deserves. I can't even say what she deserves. Anyone there? Can't forgive your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. Forgive as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. And you've read it in Scripture. You know it's there. But you don't want to change. You don't want to lay your life down and be a witness. That's just a simple one. Fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you something. Love, joy, peace. Can I tell you that joy actually looks joyful? No, for real. My grandmother, she always used to say to me, well, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I would tell her, could you let your face know? God rest her soul. I love her to death. The joy of the Lord is my strength. How are you, brother? Oh, you don't know what I've been through this week. That's why I love South Bay. You guys come out of here when you're like, I am ready for Jesus. It's like, God bless you and God bless you. I just love it. I can see the joy of the Lord. Let me give you another one. Love is actually loving. It actually looks loving. It feels loving. It doesn't feel mean. Listen to this. Kind is actually kind. So listen, when you're on the 405... When they cut you off, you don't cut them back off. That's not kind. I'll never forget. I had planted a church and I'm driving down the road and I was going too slow. (laughs) I wasn't going too slow. I was going, you know, the speed limit. Well, someone was coming around me and they wanted to pass me. So they go and they pass me. And as they're passing me, they give me some kind of gesture that I can't do in church. When they looked, (laughs) they went to my church. So when they passed me, they were looking at me through the rearview mirror, and I went like this. I think the next week I talked about the love of God, and I stared at them the whole time. Do you know... Love actually is loving. It's actually loving. But I want you to see what Peter did. Peter, excuse me, Andrew found Peter. Now this word found, it's a purposed word. It's a purposed word. In other words, he was purposed to find his brother. He wasn't about to just let it happen. He was going to make it happen. Remember, Jesus is the way. He came to seek and to save the lost. I, I, I love these prayers of, of people. Lord, I pray that you'd give me a divine appointment. Here's my prayer. God, I'm going to go find a divine appointment. Seeking and saving the lost is actually doing that. It's actually going into your world and being purposed to find someone and bring them to Jesus. This was just a night with the word of God. It's Andrew understanding what it means to be a witness. And you know what I love about Andrew? He never changed. All throughout the Gospels, he continued to bring people to Jesus. Choose to witness. Number four, finally, choose to change. Choose to change. It's John chapter 1. Look with me, verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, You shall be called 
Cephas, which is translated a stone. I wonder what that look looked like. Because I wish I could do it right now to all of you. Like when Jesus, when Peter was coming on the scene and Jesus looked at him, was it like, you know, or, or was it like the, the Catholic Jesus? You know, did, did, did he, like did, when Peter was coming on the scene, did he go, oh. you know, who knows what he did? I think he was a surfer Jesus. Like, what's up, Peter? You know, what kind of look did he give Simon? What kind of look did he give Simon? Because I got a feeling that this look penetrated right to his soul. I've got a feeling that this look was the same look that Jesus gave Peter when he denied him. And I got to believe it was the most loving, tender look that you could ever imagine. It's like when my daughter scores a goal in soccer. And she turns in the stand and she sees her dad. And I've got this huge smile on my face and my eyes like this, tears coming down my eyes. And I'm like, yeah. That's the kind of look that I've got to imagine that Jesus, with all of his love, was looking at Simon and he says to him, you are Simon. I know what I'm getting. A loudmouth buffoon. I know what I'm getting. I know who you are. I know the problems you're going to cause me. I know the challenges you're going to give me. I even know you will deny me after all I do for you. I know who you are. You are Simon. I know exactly who you are. I know you're a sinner. I know know you're a liar and a deceiver. I, I know what you've done. Peter, Simon, follow me and I will make you. You see, John got it. John was the son of thunder. I grew up with fishermen. Let me tell you, fishermen, the crudest people you can ever imagine. And they're strong. I mean, when I was in Africa, I used to go out in the boats with the fishermen. Their backs look like this. Because they're just pulling up these nets with all kinds of fish. And then they'll pull up a shark, and they will grab the shark by the tail and just hit it like this in the head, and it'll just die. I mean, these guys are just... I have a cousin, and he saw a 17-foot tiger shark coming towards the boat. He jumped out into the water with a a, a bang stick. It's It's got a little 45 caliber bullet on the end of it. His shark was coming towards him. He hit the shark with it, didn't kill him. The shark turns around and comes towards him. He takes another bang stick and he hits it in the head and the shark bellies up and dies immediately. First of all, what kind of dummy jumps in the water when a 17-foot shark is coming down the way? You just let him swim, go, hi, little shark, and you stay in the boat. Fisherman, man. And Jesus looks at John and goes, you're a son of thunder. But then he did something that blows my mind And I'm convinced that it's only because John was the only one at the cross. He looked at Mary and he goes, woman, behold your son. Jesus, what in the world are you thinking? John is the son of thunder. He's the youngest of the whole group. It's got to be because he's the only one there. No, 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 no. You don't understand the plan of Jesus. Mary was a great disciple. And Jesus knew that this son of thunder could become the apostle of love because Mary was so loving to Jesus, her son. You see, Jesus knows exactly what we need to change us. He knows exactly who we need in our life, even that problem person, to change us. He knows how to mold. He knows how to shape us. And he looked at Simon. He says, you are Simon, but you shall be Cephas, I know who you are, but I know who I'm making you. I know who you can become. Now, if I was simply to call the name Simon, some of you would go, was that Simon the Pharisee? Is that the other Simon, the disciple? But when I say Peter, you see the church today, we know Peter, the apostle. None of us know Simon. But John, I want you to see something. Look at verse 42. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. In parentheses, John puts, which is translated, a stone. In other words, let me tell you what John's trying to do. 
you guys have no idea how much he has changed. John writes this later in his life. He writes this later in Peter's life. And he's trying to let everybody know, listen, I know John from before. He was a rough fisherman. But when Jesus got a hold of him and Peter decided when he said in the boat that day, we've been fishing all night, nevertheless, at your word. That statement defined Peter and he would change. So much so. Here's where we close. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter. Listen to the words of this incredible disciple. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. This is the Peter that said, Hey, we've left everything for you. What do we get? This is the Peter that denied Jesus. This is the Peter that said, Hey, this is great that we were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe we should build three memorials. And God interrupts him. This is that Peter. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, in other words, put everything you've got, add to your faith, virtue. One step. To virtue, add knowledge. Another step. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Peter got it. You see, I believe that Peter is reporting every character that he changed in one by one. And finally, at the end of Peter's life, he got it. They will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That's what God's making you. Peter caught it. He understood it. You see, if you want to be a disciple, you've got to choose to change. And the change that you'll be is a lover of God and a lover of people. Would you pray with me? Father, We want to be disciples. And Lord, um, tonight I ask that your spirit would move in this place. And I pray that as we pray, we would be challenged to change. And actually become a disciple. In Jesus' name. Amen.